again, uh, we're just looking forward to what the Lord has for us. But tonight we are going to be in Ezekiel chapter uh, 28. And Father, we ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. Lord, teach us and guide us in everything. I pray that you would, Lord, um, touch our hearts. And there's some very important lessons here for us, and particularly concerning self-reliance and pride. And Lord, uh, we know that you want to speak to us. You want to guide us. And Lord, that you would just take your word and work it deep within our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we entered this section um, that began in chapter 25 of this, this proclamations that were given of judgments against the neighboring nations that surrounded Judah. Of course, Ezekiel, as he was taken off in the second deportation of the Babylonian captivity, that he's been speaking against Jerusalem and Judah because of their disobedience. But very much what Isaiah had done in, in a portion of his uh, book that we saw in Jeremiah, Ezekiel also is given these proclamations against the nations, against the Ammonites, against the Edomites, against the Moabites, against the Philistines, Egypt we're going to see. And we spent last week a couple chapters looking at Tyre. As Tyre was north of Israel, at one time they were allies with David and Solomon, the king of Tyre. You read about that in Second Chronicles, First Chronicles. You read about that when Solomon built the temple, how it was the king of Tyre who made a covenant with David, and David and him were friends, and David witnessed to the king of Tyre. But we also know that they provided the cedar logs, that they would uh, have 30,000 men as, as Solomon was uh, building the temple, and 30,000 men would go up and help with the cedar logs that were cut down, and they would uh, float them down the Mediterranean along the coast to Joppa and then bring them up to Jerusalem. So th there was a connection that was there. But Tyre and Sidon was a, a city, a major port, where the ships came in, and they would export and import goods. And Israel sits in a very unique place geographically, where it's kind of the connection between Europe and Asia and northern Africa. And many caravans would come through there, and Judah would tax the people as they came through as they're going on their way up to Tyre to those ports as uh, shipments were coming in from Tyre, uh, being shipped down in nor northern Africa. And with Judah being uh, taken into captivity by the Babylonians, that taxation was gone. So Tyre and Sidon, interesting. Tyre had a very interesting history. We know that it was Nebuchadnezzar that surrounded the city, was going to destroy the city. But what the people of Tyre did on that coast is they took all their goods and they went to an island a half a mile off of the coast. And so when Nebuchadnezzar finally broke through to get to Tyre, everything was gone. So he tore the city down, uh, and the city was in rubble. Uh, he couldn't get to the, to the tire out there on that island. So what happened is he left them. And it would be later on, about 250 years later, that Alexander the Great came, and he took the rubble from the city that Nebuchadnezzar had uh, destroyed, and he made a causeway out to the island, and then he would defeat Tyre. And there's more history that we talked about, but it was a place where um, many of the merchants in the Middle East there, in northern Africa, 
would, uh, you know, prosper because of, of Tyre, because of the port city. And we saw that last time, uh, that uh, she was one that had strength and, and a lot of customers and allies and mercenaries and carried luxury items. And everything seemed to go well until the east wind came. And that's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar. And we ended in chapter 27 with the merchants among the peoples will hiss at you, will become a horror and be no more. In other words, they were grieving because Tyre went down and because no more luxury items. And it reminds me so much of the phraseology that we read about in Revelation chapter 18, that in the tribulation period, that when commercial Babylon is destroyed, the merchants of the sea and those who you know, dealt with worldly items and luxury items, that they're going to mourn because it's no more. The Babylonian system, the worldly system that perverted the world so much is going to be destroyed. And then the Lord's going to come back and establish his kingdom. So as we move into chapter 28, we're going to see more proclamation now against the king of Tyre. Let's read in verse 1 of chapter 28, that the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, Say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seats of gods and in the midst of the seas. You are a man and not a God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, are you wiser than Daniel? Interesting verse 3. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in, in trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. So this proclamation against the king of Tyre, his name was uh, the third, And as we read here, he would see himself as a god. He had the, uh, the, the pride of, uh, you know, uh, in his heart saying that I am a god. He, he would say, I, I am lifted up. I am a god. I sit in the seats of gods in the midst of the sea. And here there's an interesting reference in verse 3, as I noted, to Daniel. Hey, king of Tyre, are you more wise? Are you smarter than Daniel? And, of course, Daniel at this time was in Babylon as he's given amazing prophecies uh, to Nebuchadnezzar and also uh, would continue uh, to uh, the point of where Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. But uh, he had God's wisdom. Here, the king of Tyre, he has worldly wisdom, man wisdoms, and there is a big difference. And again, as you see the pride here, he thinks he's as good as a god as he has his heart that is lifted up because of his riches. And that's the thing that we're going to see even in Matthew, that in a few weeks that the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And he was rich, he was young, he was a ruler, he had everything in the world going for him, but Jesus zeroed in on something, and that is his covetousness, and his possessions really possessed him. He said, sell all that you have, Give to the poor and follow after me. And the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. And, and Jesus then turned to his disciples and said that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now, it's not a sin being rich. There were rich men in the scriptures 
that were wealthy that loved God. We know that Abraham was a friend of God. We know David, he was wealthy. He had a heart after God. Solomon had the wisdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. And he's the one that prepared the body of Jesus for burial. Uh, but we know that they were lovers of the Lord. So those who can pursue riches, and it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, that uh, it can cause a self-reliance and pride in our hearts to be lifted up. And we need to always guard against that. And that's what's happening with the king of Tyre here. Let's continue in verse 6. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. And they shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain, and in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God, but you shall be a man and not a God, in the hand of him who slays you. In verse 10, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. So you're not a God. You're going to find it out that you're just a man. And uh, you're going to go down, and you are going to be one um, that is going to realize that I am the Lord, and I have spoken. And we see this lamentation for the king of Tyre that is very interesting now. As we continue in verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were to seal a perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers... I establish you, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. By abundance of your trading, verse 16, you became filled with violence within. And you sinned, therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones." Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So interesting here is as we read this that obviously it's not specifically talking about the prince of Tyre. The prince of Tyre was not an anointed cherub. Uh, he was not in the Garden of Eden. But it's speaking of Satan himself. Uh, the prince of Tyre was a picture of pointed to Satan, who became very prideful and sinned against God. And uh, Lucifer, uh, who was the anointed cherub, who fell and became Satan. And these verses here in Ezekiel speak of his origins. He was the anointed cherub. Of course, the cherubim, we talked about them, were the guardians of the throne of, of God. Now, sometimes you'll hear a teaching about uh, there's different archangels. There's only one archangel, Michael the, uh, you know, uh, archangel. Um, and, and he is the chief of angels. Uh, and we know that 
it was Satan or Lucifer that was one that was a, a, an anointed cherub. He was created by God, as we see, as we read here. Uh, you were created that the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. Now, keep this in mind because Satan is not eternal. Sometimes people put Satan on the opposite you know, spectrum of God. And he is not opposite in power or in nature or essence of God. He's created. He was an anointed cherub that became prideful and he sinned against God. Uh, he seems to indicate that he was a worship leader. Isn't that interesting? Uh, as it gives indication that, um, that he led and, and directed worship uh, in heaven. The stones represent uh, the, the beauty and the high position uh, that Lucifer had. The stones that are mentioned here that we read in verse 13, nine of the 12 stones were located in the breastplate of the high priest. Uh, so Lucifer was given an exalted place. And as he was the worship leader, he, he uh, would fill heaven with worship. It's interesting that I got a question uh, on the radio program about angels and when were angels created. We know that they were created prior to the creation of earth because Job tells us that when God created the earth, that all of heaven broke out in worship. And, and when exactly did Satan fall or Lucifer fall and become Satan? We don't know exactly, but he does come into the garden and he tempts Eve and causes Adam to sin. And here the emphasis is his pride. Uh, he's on the mountain of God. That uh, he's in the Garden of, of Eden. Uh, he's the guardian cherub. He was full of beauty and uh, walk back and forth in the midst of those fiery stones, perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. We know that in the book of Isaiah chapter 14 that it also speaks of Satan, how he became prideful, the I will statements of Satan. For you have said in your heart, this is chapter 14 of Isaiah. You can reference that in verse 13 starting. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne into the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. You might recall that in Luke's gospel that when the 70 came back from being sent out, that they came back and they're very excited. And Jesus said, rejoice uh, that your names are written in the book of life. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And that's an interesting statement that Jesus made to them at that time. Because here they come back. They, they had been working miracles. They had been casting out demons. They were raising the dead even. They come back excited. And you would think Jesus would say, that's great. That's wonderful. But he said, listen, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And I think that that was a warning that Jesus was given to those disciples that went out. Being used of God, listen, don't become prideful. Because that's what Satan did, or Lucifer, who fell and became Satan, that he fell to the earth. And now he is called the prince of the power of the air, the God, the little g of this world. 
but he became prideful. He is full of pride. And here the king of Tyre was full of pride saying, I am a god, and I, I sit as a god, and I am wealthy in, in the luxury, and I'm successful. So we know what the Bible has to say about pride being a terrible, terrible sin. And we as Christians, for us to come to the Lord, as we saw that they were the disciples arguing who's going to be the greatest, that Jesus took a child as an illustration and put him in the, in the midst of the disciples and said, listen, if you want to, to you know, be a part and enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must come in childlike faith. You must humble yourself as a child. We can't come to God in our pride. We can't come in our self-reliance and say, I deserve heaven. Look how wonderful I am. Look how, you know, I've accomplished this. That is something that, that we cannot come to the Lord in pride and self-reliance in, in thinking that, that I am one that has earned heaven. We have to humble ourselves and we come in humility saying, Lord, I am a sinner and I am in need of forgiveness. And you are the Lord that provided that through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me. So here, pride is something that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs chapter 16, God's word is so true. And we know that pride will cause our wisdom to be corrupted. That's what is said here in, in verse 17. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. It just blinds us, and, and we need to be careful of pride that it doesn't creep into our hearts and we need to present our hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, search me and try me. And, and Lord, I want to be humble before you. And then in verse 20, this proclamation against Sidon. Sidon was the sister city of Tyre, just to the north there. And oftentimes, as you read in uh, the historical books, Tyre and Sidon were linked together. But we read in verse 20, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards uh, Sidon, and prophesy against her, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon. I will be glorified in your midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and am hallowed in her. For I will send pestilence upon her and blood in her streets. The wounded shall be judged in her midst, and by the sword against her on every side they shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 24, and there shall no longer be a pricking briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from among all who are around them, who despise them, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So Sidon, again, uh, often linked to with Tyre, uh, only a few miles from Tyre is judge, but we're not told that they would be completely destroyed, and Sidon still exists today in Lebanon. Tyre is just a little fishing village, and that causeway that they had built out to that island, people use it to fish and cast their nets, as we discussed that last time. And then as we finish chapter 28, thus says the Lord God in verse 25, There I have gained together the house of Israel from the peoples among whom are scattered, and am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles. Then they shall dwell in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell safely there, build houses and plant vineyards. Yes, I will dwell securely when I execute judgments. And all those around them who despise them, and they, they shall know that I am the Lord their God. So Israel will dwell safely. This is a future blessing. 
of Israel, when God restores the nation of Israel in the kingdom age, it's interesting when we get to Ezekiel 38. Now, uh, we see these proclamations go through chapter 32, and then we'll see some, some words given about being a watchman on the wall. And then we see in chapter 36 to the end of the book, very prophetic, as Ezekiel's going to talk about a nation that was dead that's coming alive. And then Ezekiel 38 talks about this battle in the last days that will take place that is yet future, that how Israel is dwelling safely, um, unwalled villages. But then war breaks out. So we know here as it says that they will dwell in their own land, that they will dwell safely there, build houses and plant vineyards, that that ultimately is going to be fulfilled in the millennium reign when the Lord comes back. And I find it interesting that all of a sudden this is placed at the end of uh, this proclamation against Tyre and Sidon uh, because we know that the Lord didn't leave them without any hope, Judah. You're probably reading these proclamations against Judah and against the other nations that the time's going to come where that you got a future blessing. And I'll gather the house of Israel from the peoples among they are scattered and I will bring them home, and they will dwell safely. We see a partial fulfillment of that. We'll talk more about that in Ezekiel 36, a complete fulfillment of that in the, in the millennium reign or in the kingdom age. Let's go into chapter 29 as we're going to talk about this proclamation against Egypt. And in the 10th year, verse 1, in the 10th month, on the 12th day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt, and speak and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great monster who lies in the midst of his rivers, who has said, My river is own, I have made it for myself. So the Pharaoh of Egypt uh, was Hophra, and he was full of pride as well. One of the things that you notice that in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, and also in Ezekiel, when these proclamations are given against not only Judah, but against those neighboring nations, Egypt and Ammon and, and Tyre and Sidon and Babylon uh, and all of that, that pride is a major theme that is there. That these nations were so prideful, they uh, boasted in their accomplishments. They thought nothing was going to happen to them. And Egypt boasted here, and the, the pharaoh of Egypt boasted in his accomplishments. He saw himself also as a god, a crocodile in the Nile. They would worship crocodiles. And as we read, the Lord says, no, you're not a crocodile. You're not a god. Uh, you are a monster is what you are. Verse 4, but I will put hooks in your jaws. That's interesting, too. We'll see that in Ezekiel 38. And cause the fish of your rivers to s- stick to your scales. I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers, and all the fish of your rivers will stick to your scales. I will leave you in the wilderness, you and all the fish of your rivers. You shall fall in the open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. I have given you as food to the beasts of the field and to the birds of heaven. So God describing Pharaoh as a great monster of the sea and the people of Egypt as fish and God's going to defeat Pharaoh in Egypt. You're going to be cast out of the river, thrown up on the bank and uh, you're going to be given to the beast of the field. Verse 6, then all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord because they've been a staff and a reed to the house of Israel. When they took hold of you with the hand, 
you broke and tore all their shoulders. When they leaned on you, you broke and made all their backs quiver. So Judah looked to Egypt as a staff, and we know what a staff is. A staff, we use them uh, as uh, the weather's going to be getting nicer, and we're going to be heading in the summer. A lot of us go hiking, and we got those hiking sticks and that we like to have a hiking staff, a, a walking stick. And we use them in the mountains and on hiking trails. But Egypt's staff, you're looking for support. You're looking to, for that, that staff to help you. Uh, Egypt's staff is a reed that's very fragile. And the reeds would grow in abundance in the Nile, uh, in the wetlands. And, of course, if you just put any pressure on it, it would just break. And, and so that's what he's liking in Egypt to. In verse 8, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Surely I will bring a sword upon you and ca- cut off from you man and beast. And the land of Egypt shall become desolate and waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord because he said, The river is mine and I have made it. Indeed, therefore, I am against you and against your rivers, and I will make the land of Egypt utterly waste and desolate from Migdol to Cyrene as far as the border of Ethiopia. Verse 11, neither foot of man shall pass through it, nor foot of beast shall uh, pass through it, and it shall be uninhabited 40 years. Now, Egypt's devastation and captivity will last 40 years. And the river here is very much mentioned because the Nile River going through Egypt was really their lifeline. Egypt is a desert, except in that area along the Nile River. That's where they would grow their crops, and uh, that was fertile, and and that was the lifeline of Egypt. And and he is saying to them that you're going to be desolate and waste. The river is mine. I'm the one who made it. And then in verse 12, I will make the land of Egypt desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate and among the cities that are laid waste, her city shall be desolate 40 years. So the captivity would last 40 years. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. Yet thus says the Lord God, at the end of 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians from the people among whom they were scattered. And in verse 14, I will bring back the captives of Egypt and cause them to return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin. And there they shall be a lowly kingdom. And it shall be the lowliest of kingdoms. It shall never again exalt itself, interesting, above the nations. For I will diminish them so that they will not rule over the nations anymore. No longer shall it be confidence in the house of Israel, but will remind them of their iniquity when they turn to follow them. And they shall know that I am the Lord God. So interesting here, once a great nation, we hear about the, and see the pyramids and how Egypt, how they kept the children of Israel under bondage for uh, 400 years. Once a great nation, empire, going into captivity. And when they return, Egypt will never be a world power again. And they haven't in history. Matter of fact, even recently, when Israel came back into the land, Egypt was threatening Israel, and they were defeated in the Six-Day War. They were defeated in the Young Kippur War. They've never been a world power, even in the Middle East today. And as we finish here, we're going to see really the only mention that Ezekiel gives in these proclamations against the nation about Babylon. But it's not against Babylon themselves, but how Babylon will plunder Egypt. And it came to pass in verse 17 in the 27th year in the first month. On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to labor strenuously against Tyre. 
Every head was made bald and every shoulder rubbed raw, yet neither he nor his army received wages from Tyre from the labor which they expended on. Verse 19, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Surely I will give the land uh, of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall take away her wealth, carry off her spoil, remove her pillage, and that will be the wages for his army. And I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor because they work for me, says the Lord God. And as we finish the chapter, in that day I will cause the horn of the house of Israel to spring forth. I will open up your mouth and speak in her midst, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So they didn't get anything when they took Tyre because they broke through and they took everything onto that island and Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get to the island. Um, their entire, and they left empty. But Egypt, their wealth and spoils, is going to be taken by Nebuchadnezzar. And then chapter 30, as we read that, uh, the word of the Lord, continuing to talk about Egypt, came to me again, saying, Son of man, prophesy, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, woe to the day, uh, for the day is near. Even the day of the Lord, underline that in verse 3, is near. It will be a day of clouds in the time of the Gentiles. The sword shall come upon Egypt. A great anguish shall be in Ethiopia. When the slain fall in Egypt, and when they take away her wealth, and her foundations are broken down, Ethiopia, uh, Libya, Lydia, all the mingled people, Chub, and the men of the lands who are allies shall fall with them by the sword. Verse 5. Notice the day, as I said, the day of the Lord is near. Now that is a term that we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We see it in Isaiah 13. We see it in Joel chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 14. We see it in the New Testament, particularly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And the day of the Lord is a period of time. The Old Testament speaks of judgment uh, followed by blessing. So the day of the Lord begins with the tribulation period, extends to the second coming of Jesus Christ and through the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. So it is judgment. Joel 2 talks about the sun being darkened, the, the, the uh, sun not giving us light, the moon turning to blood, all this that is given to us, the description, the day of the Lord given to us in the book of Revelation. So it's very important for us to understand the day of the Lord is not one particular day, but it is a period of time, the tribulation through the millennium reign. And we know that in Daniel chapter 11, that in the prophecies of Daniel, that Egypt shall not escape in the tribulation period. We continue reading here in verse 6. Thus says the Lord, those who uphold Egypt shall fall, and the pride of her power shall come down. We saw that even the house of Israel and Judah, they were always trying to make alliances with Egypt. And the Lord would say, don't do that. That Pharaoh's not going to help you. The fast Arabian horses aren't going to help you. Don't go to the world. And we have the Lord. He's taken us out of Egypt. And why would we go back to Egypt to be the one to be our hope, to be the one that is going to be our ultimate help. It is the Lord that is our help. You uphold Egypt, you're going to fall. The pride of her power shall come down from Migdal to Cyrene. Those within her shall fall by the sword, says the Lord God, and they shall be desolate in the midst of her desolate countries, and her city shall be in the midst of the cities that are laid waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord, 
When I have set a fire in Egypt and all her helpers are destroyed, on that day messengers shall go forth from me in ships to make the careless Ethiopians afraid, and a great anguish shall come upon them, <coughs> excuse me, as on the day of Egypt, for indeed it is coming. You remember at the end of the book of Jeremiah that, that Jeremiah was taken off to Egypt and he told them don't go to Egypt because the Lord says that's not going to help and you're going to end up dying in Egypt and that's exactly what happened here. So as we read this, God is going to bring Egypt down and all who have sided with her. And then in verse 10, thus says the Lord God, I will also make a multitude of Egypt deceased by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He and his people with him and the most terrible of the nations shall be brought to destroy the land. And they shall draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. And I will make the rivers dry and sell the land into the hand of the wicked. And I will make the land waste and all that is in it by the hand of aliens. I, the Lord, have spoken. And thus says the Lord God, verse 13, I will also destroy the idols that cause the images to cease from Noph. There shall no longer be princes in the land of Egypt. I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I will make pastros and desolate, set fire in Zoan, uh, execute judgment in No. I will pour my fury on sin and the strength of Egypt. I will cut off the multitudes of No. I will set fire in Egypt, and sin shall have great pain and shall be split open, that Noph shall be in distress daily. He goes on, he, he says, the young men of Avon and the other cities uh, that are mentioned there. That when I break the yokes of Egypt, verse 18 there, her arrogant strength shall cease in her as for her a cloud shall cover her and her daughters shall go into captivity. And thus I will execute judgment on Egypt and then they shall know, there's that phrase again, that I am the Lord. So the Babylonians would take captives of those nations. They defeated and then would place them in their armies to make them slaves. And they were then used to defeat Egypt. So all of Egypt's pride, their idols, their strength, is going to be brought down by God. And verse 15, God would judge sin, and he will also, listen, he's going to judge sin. The good news for you and me as Christians is that Jesus took the judgment for you and for me, for those of us who have come to faith. But the time is going to come when the great white throne judgment will be established at the end of the millennium reign. And those who have rejected Jesus, the gospel message, that sin is going to be judged. And as we read in verse 20, hear this proclamation against, against Pharaoh. And it came to pass in the 11th year, in the first month of the seventh day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And see, he has been bang, uh, bandaged for healing, nor a splint put on to bind it, to make it strong enough to hold a sword. So you can't do battle. You're not strong if your arm's broken. You can't hold a sword. God says, I'm going to break Pharaoh's arm. And as you read the rest of the chapter, let's do that, that we read, Therefore, thus says the Lord God in verse 22, Surely against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, will break his arms, both the strong one and the one that it was broken. I will make the sword fall out of his hand. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand. And I will break Pharaoh's arms and he will groan before him with the groanings of a mortality wounded man. So both his arms, notice plural, will be broken. And thus I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon 
But the arms of Pharaoh shall fall down, and they shall know that I am the Lord. When I put my sword in the hand of the king of Babylon, I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar to defeat you, Egypt. And it shows us the sovereignty of God, that he's truly the one that is in control. He's the one that is in control over nations, and we need to remember that. And it stretches out against the land of Egypt, and I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries, and they shall know that I am the Lord as God deals with Pharaoh's pride to bring him down. We need to be careful of pride. The Lord is the one that is on the throne, and he desires for us to humble ourselves and follow after him, to trust in him in everything in our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these chapters that sometimes we read them, and there's a lot of judgment that is proclaimed, but, Lord, there's something for us, and that is to be careful of pride, that those who are self-reliant, that, um, that lift themselves up and their hearts up, uh, Lord, we know that, that they will be brought down. And you're the one that extends grace to the humble. And you desire for us to continue to, Lord, just look to you, to walk with you, and to know a kingdom is coming that will be established forever. So we thank you, and that you sent your Son to take the judgment of sin upon himself, that we that come in faith, that we are forgiven and our sins are atoned for. So we thank you for that. Lord, I pray you bless everyone that's listened tonight. And I pray for us that in these days that we're in, that, Lord, that we would keep our eyes on you, we would stay close to you, be humble before you in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey,